Howdy, folks. Today, we are going to talk about a statement that we will get to out of the book of Ezekiel that says, All his righteousness he hath done shall not be mentioned. Look, a problem exists, and it is much broader than even I'd like to think. But it's evident by the fruit of many that there are people that think that God is somehow, and maybe you wouldn't phrase it this way, but the fruit says that there's the thought process that God is going to weigh all of my righteous works against my evil works, and I'm just going to tip the scale. I'm going to do so much good that when I fail here or there on this or on that, that God's going to kind of overlook that because of all my righteous works. I'm going to accumulate more good than more evil. What does God think about that? You know, we don't have to wonder what God thinks about things. We have the mind of our Lord revealed to us through his inspired word. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7 through 16, it is written, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath entered in the heart of man the things which God had prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but with the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself does judge no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Notice this. But we have the mind of Christ. When you put that context together, through the revealed word of the Spirit of God, through inspired men, we have the mind of Christ. Now, there are certainly things that God did not tell his people. For example, and if you're following our studies in 1 Peter, I hope you are, wealth of information there. In 1 Peter 1, 9 through 12, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which is them did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed, not to themselves, but unto us did minister the things, which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost, sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. So, hey, there are things God didn't tell his people, but now those things have been revealed. In fact, much of the mysteries of old that they didn't understand during the time of the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, 
have now been revealed. In Romans 16, 25 and 26, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest and by the scripture of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of the faith. When we look at that, the mystery has been revealed. The things that were kept secret since the beginning of the world now made known. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul told the saints in Ephesus in verses 1 through 4, This cause I, Paul, prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if you've heard the dispensation of the grace of God which is given to you, word, how that by revelation he made known to me in history, as I wrote a few, a four and few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Now listen, don't take the stand that, well, I don't know what the Lord's going to think about this. If it's going to be brought into judgment, you can know what the Lord thinks about it. Jesus said in John 12, 48, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth them. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in that last day. No mystery there. Jesus says, my words are going to judge you. We know that obedience is required. In Hebrews 5, 8, 9, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation on all that obey him. Who is he the source of salvation to? All that obey him. I wish I could just pound this in. Maybe I need to work in this more and more into these podcasts because it seems like a missed point even among people that know better. Listen, God is going to save those that obey. Vengeance is going to be taken on those that disobey. In a context where Paul is talking about the saints being persecuted, he reveals in 2 Thessalonians 1.8, and flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is is abundantly clear in and out of context. You have, I have, the information that God requires we obey that we might please him as our father. Paul told to the evangelist Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I want you to think about this and, and let these words kind of ring in your ears for a moment. In verses 14 through 17, he said, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that is, his mother and grandmother taught them, taught him, but what did they teach him? Verse 15, that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise in the salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And listen, the scriptures that Timothy had access to as a child was not the completed New Testament, not the New Testament at all. We have the fully revealed word, and in Timothy, even without the fully revealed word, was told in verse 16 and 17, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You have the information you need to be complete to be perfect, to do good, all good works, to be able to, you know, think about the word thoroughly furnished. It, it's the idea is fully equipped or equipped fully to accomplish. You have everything. We have everything. We have more than Timothy had. 
at the time that Paul wrote this epistle. How much the more does that apply to me and to you? So the question is, is partial, however small that may be, failure equal to complete the will of God? Is that failure in the mind of our Lord? If I just, if I do everything except, what if I get it mostly right? But I do this one thing, this one except. What if I'm 99% there? We have a young girl whose mother and father are members of the congregation here in El Paso. And she come up to me and she told me, well, I'm going to say two or three Sundays ago, I, I can't recall uh, exactly when, uh, she come up to me and she, she telling me, she said, Brian, I heard my daddy on the phone and he said that if you do 99% of the things right, that 1% makes you wrong. And I said, that's right. And she said, it is? And I said, yeah. And she said, that's right. And she says, whoa. <laughs> Folks, children can get this. We ought to be able to get it too. What if, what if I do 99% right, but I'm just, I just lie? What if I only steal once? What if, I want you to put it this way. What if me as an evangelist, and for those of you that know me and you, you've known the fruit of my conduct, uh, some that listen to this podcast have known me for 25 years. If you know me for 25 years, you know my conduct, I would hope that you'd be able to say, Brian would never do this, this, and this. Okay, so what if you're fully confident in me? You, you, just, you just know. I, I would never do that. But hey, one day... I walk into the bank uh, where I bank at. Uh, <laughs> you go, you go and talk to uh, somebody on a computer screen, and uh, let's say somehow somebody brought in a money bag, and I don't, I don't know how how you would do this at this place. And when when I deposit money, you can only stick in a certain amount of bills into the machine, and then it takes quite a bit of time, especially if you got some ones. It's terrible. They're all wrinkly and getting rejected. It's terrible, but. Nonetheless, let me come back. Well, there's a money bag sitting there, and, and you know what? I, I see it coming in. I see it going out. looks pretty full, and I just grab it. You know, I'm like, hey, nobody's claimed it. Somehow I excuse myself because, you know, let's face it. Sinners normally excuse themselves. I mean, right? What if I just steal once? Oh, I, 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 I didn't do it twice. I'm not going back and doing it again. I just, I only did this once. Do you really need to think about that? What's in the bag? Does it even matter? Would it matter if it was a dollar versus a thousand versus a hundred thousand? Would it matter? Would it matter if it were money that belonged to a business that was going to deposit it versus a little old lady and that was all the money that she had and she'd been putting it in her mattress but now she finally decided to deposit in the bank. Would it matter? Would it matter? Does all of my good works build up some form of savings account of righteous deeds that's going to wipe out this theft? You, you want to know, here's the serious nature of our study. There are a lot of people that depending on the circumstance, 
would look at it differently. If it was a dollar, they'd look at it differently than a thousand. If it was a thousand, they'd look at it differently if it was a hundred thousand. If it was a little old lady's money, they'd look at it differently than if it was a big corporation's money. That is extremely sad. Because there are people that have this idea of little sin and great sin. Is that God's mindset? In Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 24, says, When the righteous turneth away from his righteousness and committeth iniquity and doeth according to all the abomination the wicked man doeth, shall he live? All his righteousness that he hath done shall not be mentioned. In his trespass that he hath trespassed and in his sin that he has sinned, and them shall he die. What's that tell you about your savings account of righteous deeds? Ezekiel 33, 13. When I say the righteous, that he shall surely live, if he trust to his own righteousness and commit iniquity, all his righteousness shall not be remembered. But for his iniquity that he hath committed, he shall die for it. Whether plural or singular, the instruction is the same. Your good deeds are not going to accumulate and somehow weigh the scale of justice and eternity. And on the day of sentencing, the Lord look at you and say, well, the good outweighs the bad. It was only a dollar. It was only a thousand. It was only one act of adultery. It was only one lie. It was only one sip of alcohol. Hope somebody's listening to that. The Lord's not going to say, you know what? It doesn't matter. We know this for sure. We just read the evidence, but the evidence continues in the New Testament. In James chapter 2, in the context, you had brethren that were respecters of persons. What harm is there in letting a rich person have a better seat than a poor person? What if these brethren are doing everything else right and they just have respect of person? Come on, Lord. Come on. It's just one thing, one little teeny bitty thing. I mean, after all, if we give the rich person the cheese seats and we treat them better, they'll give more and it will allow the church to be able to do more good works. The apostles could be supported better. Needy saints could be helped better. I mean, come on. Good can come of this one teeny itty bitty little thing called being a respecter of persons. On well, James 2, 10 through 13, whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he has said, do not commit adultery. He said also, do not kill. Now, if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do as they that should be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy, that has showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Those saints that were respecters of persons were lost. Didn't matter all the good that they had done. This turns on the head the common reasoning that people have. And of course, people are full of their excuses. I'm, I don't think I'm going to go to hell just for this one thing. I'm more of a good person than I am a bad person. And it's funny 
You know, I recently uh, recently had written correspondence with somebody I care about uh, deeply, and it was over alcohol. And I've stayed with this person a long time, and you know, they've taken stands against many things. And it's interesting how when somebody does something sinful, the reasoning that they've used against other people all of a sudden goes away. For example, and I've done a podcast on this. I don't remember the date, but but you could go back and look. I did a podcast for those that say that instrumental music in worship is sinful. Why don't they apply that same thing to other things? Now listen, it is sinful, and it's sinful because the New Testament doesn't authorize Christians to use mechanical instrumental music and worship to God. That's what makes it sinful. But interestingly, the same people that reason that way, that understand authority, that what makes something right is God authorizes it. What makes it wrong is that he didn't. Colossians 3, 16 and 17, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So these people that know this, like the person I'm talking about uh, right now, uh, they know this. They will apply it until it comes to this thing that they want to excuse. Then all of a sudden, the same line of reasoning is gone, and it's the Bible doesn't explicitly condemn this, and this is what I did. And since the Bible doesn't condemn it, I don't think I'm going to go to hell over it. Yet, they'll turn around and point the finger and say that whole group of people who are worshiping on the first day of the week with that mechanical instrument music, they're going to hell because they're doing something God didn't authorize. And again, that's right. But they're not consistently applying that to themselves. Go back and read James 2, 10 through 13. And, and, and think about also how this person condemns themselves on multiple levels. You know what judgment you judge, you shall be judged, Matthew 7 and verse 2. So this person that type of person, which, let me tell you, is by far the greater majority of people I've ever talked to about the Scriptures. I'm talking 95% of people I've talked to about the Scriptures do just this thing. They'll condemn this, but then when they're doing something, they won't apply the same biblical principles. All of a sudden, they're full of excuses. And this is to no surprise to those of you that know the scriptures, because we know that people are going to justify themselves. Every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 2. Proverbs 16, 2, likewise, says, All the ways of man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. Then there's other scriptures, like Proverbs 16, 25. There is a way that seemeth right in a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And then other scriptures that carry similar points, like Proverbs 20, verse 6. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. None of this is shocking or surprising to those of us that study the Bible, but we're going to keep seeing it. There are those, the book of Galatians chapter 6, verse 3 says, If a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. There are those that are self deceivers. It's not that they're ignorant of the truth. No, they, they get it on other points. 
Let, let me give you a clear illustration. There is not one single scripture in all 66 books of the Bible that explicitly condemns a 45-year-old man from having sex with a six-year-old girl. There's not one scripture that condemns it. However, everybody I have ever met would call that child molestation. And they would condemn that person. Well, on what grounds? On what grounds, folks? You can't turn the Bible and say, it is a sin for a 45-year-old man to have sexual intercourse with a six-year-old girl. Somebody would say, well, it's fornication. No, he married her first. Put a ring on her finger. Come on, folks. Whatever it is that you're going to kind of try to come back and rebut with, let me tell you this. You know it's wrong. You would condemn it. But then you'll turn around and use the God didn't say I couldn't excuse for yourself. With what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. God gave the authority in 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 2. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and every woman her own husband. That's the authority. Anything that a man or a woman does outside of that is violation of God's authority. And it makes it unlawful sexual intercourse. That makes it sinful because it's contrary to 1 Corinthians 7.2. You don't need the scripture that says do not. By God saying this is the way, then any other way is wrong. Unless you can explicitly authorize that other way. We get that when it comes to things like child molestation. Or interestingly, right? People will, will say things, like, recent discussion, um, oh, I just had a little bit of alcohol. What if your five-year-old said that? Your response would be different, right? You say it's harmless, nothing sinful, it's good, but then you would look at it differently if it was your child. Why? Because you know you did wrong. You're going to justify it for you, but not for them. You know, I'd like to have conversations with people's children that, that, that uh, go about this way. A father tells his, his teenage boy, don't go out there and do a bunch of drugs. And the teenage boy comes home and says, hey, mom and dad, how you doing? <laughs> What's wrong with you? Your eyes are all glassy. Your pupils look like they're about to explode. Oh, you know, I... I just got a buzz going on right. I told you not to go out there and do drugs. No, actually, Dad, you said not to do a bunch of drugs. I only did one drug. <laughs> okay, well, go in your room and sleep it off. Everything's good. And Hey, do you have any extra for me? Come on, folks. We know better. We know better. But people, when they open the Bible and they consider the Word of God, they don't even use the same line of reasoning they do with their own children. Well, what is God? He's our father. What's he expect out of you? The same kind of obedience you expect out of your child. Hmm. Let me slap myself on the head here. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 28, is talking to the disciples, the apostles, right? Verses 18 through 20 says, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, 
even unto the end of the world, teaching them to observe all things that he commanded. Listen, the expectations aren't high. The word of God is not burdensome. 1 John 5, 1 through 3, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone that loveth him that begot loveth him that's begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. The more you study the word of God and you look at what our Lord expects out of you, you will realize that much of it is just logic. Just, I mean, a lot of it is what your doctor will tell you. You, you go to your doctor and he tells you to abstain from things like uh, cigarettes because they're going to destroy uh, your health and bring about greater problems. Uh, we're told that we're to glorify God in our body and our spirit, 1 Corinthians 6, 20, because it belongs to God, taking care of your health, thinking of things like that. Like there, there are a lot of things, just when you understand that, that you get. My doctor cares about my physical well-being. Well, so does God. Why doesn't he permit us just to go out and fornicate? Well, what happens if you have one man, one woman for life to sexually transmitted diseases? What happens to single parent households? What happens to all the social and economical issues that have come about in the culture of America if you have one man, one woman for life? They're gone. You know why? Because God's instructions are for good and all things pertaining to life and godliness. 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4. The Word of God is the instruction manual on how to live a better life here and then how to have eternal life with Him. And it's all logical. It all makes sense. When you put it together, it is, it's just that simple. It's, that, it's not burdensome. Much of what God wants us to abstain from are the same things we would teach our 14-year-old children to stay away from as they go out with their friends. It's, it's really that simple, right? I mean, idolatry, for example, we would tell our children, obey me, I'm your father. Don't go out there and serve somebody else. Well, same thing God says. Don't go out and serve some other God, some, some false God, some illogical piece of wood or stone or, or precious metals that aren't God's anyway. But I'm your father. I'm going to be jealous of you. Hey, it's all logic, right? It's, it's, it makes sense. It adds up. But then people will say, you know what? I was baptized for the remission of my sins, Acts 2.38. Jesus washed me. I'm clean. What I do from here doesn't matter. Well, number one, you go read Romans chapter 6 and you'll see that that's not accurate. Number two, let me give you a Bible example. There's a man named Simon in Acts chapter 8. And he believed and was baptized, verse 13. And he continued with Philip... And he wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Well, beginning in Acts 8, 14, the apostles were at Jerusalem, heard Samaria had received the word of God. They sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. 
For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. When Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered the money, saying, Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. Hey, he didn't do anything wrong, right? Do you know there's not one verse in the Bible that explicitly says don't pay the apostles money to receive the ability of laying on of hands to give the Holy Ghost. Not one verse that explicitly says that that's wrong. So what did he do wrong? Well, he's a babe in Christ. We can't expect him to know everything. He was baptized. He'll be all right. Oh, this is just one mistake in wisdom. These are the kind of excuses that I've heard over the years and like transgressions. What we see in the word of God, Acts 8, 20, Peter said in him, thy money perish with thee because thou hast thought the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. What parts is baptism playing here? Yeah, his sins were washed away, but now through this one transgression, he's lost again. Peter says in verse 23, I perceive thou art in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. Simon answered, he told him, pray the Lord for me that none of these things which I have spoken come upon me. Folks, Ezekiel 18, 24, 33, 13, you see it right there. I want to give you an example of another person, a man that when you're studying the book of Acts did a lot of good, and I'm not going to give you the half of it. I'm going to start in Acts 4, 36 and 37 with this man named Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Wow! If this is all you ever knew about Barnabas, this man took his possessions, sold it, and gave it to the apostles because there was a problem. People had moved to Jerusalem from all over the earth after having obeyed the gospel, and they had nothing. And the people that were there in that area that were just, that were saints, they sold their possessions. Some of them kept back part of it. If you keep reading Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira, they're struck dead because they kept back part of the price of land and lied about it. I mean, just, just this one little thing. They gave some of it. Why didn't that account for it? Folks, haven't I preached this good enough already? <laughs> Let me keep on Barnabas. Barnabas done this great deed. In Acts 13, and, and I'm skipping some stuff. I mean, he's done great things in between this too. In Acts 13, 1 through 3, there were in the church that was Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas, Simeon, that was called Niger, Lucius of Serene, and Manon, which had been brought up, up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Ghost said, listen to who chose. The Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I've called them. When they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. 
If you keep reading the context, they're out preaching. I mean, verse 46, Paul and Barnabas, not just Paul, Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said it was necessary the word of God should first be spoken to you, but seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. If you fast forward to Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas are preaching to Antioch. They stand up against false doctrine. They come to the Jerusalem. They meet with the elders, the, the whole congregation and the apostles. And it pleased, Acts 15, 22, the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch. Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabas Silas, chief men among the brethren. He is chief among the brethren. But when you come to Galatians chapter 2, you learn that Peter erred and Paul came to Antioch and had to withstand, with, withstood him to his face, Galatians 2.11. Because before that, certain came from James, he ate with the Gentiles. But when they came, that is those from James, he withdrew himself, separated himself, fearing them that were the circumcision. Here is this apostle who's backing away from his Gentile brethren because of fear of the Jews. How's Barnabas fit into this? Verse 13. The other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. Carried away with, meaning he was seduced, meaning he was led away. He went with them after their hypocrisy. Hmm. But what about all the good that he'd done in the past? What about the goods that he sold imparted to those that had need by giving them to the, giving that money to the apostles, laying it at their feet? What about the preaching he'd done in the past? It's not going to be mentioned. Ezekiel 18, 24 and 33, 13. It's not going to be mentioned. You know, Judas, he only did two things wrong. He was a thief, John 12, and he betrayed our Lord. But other than that, he forsook all and followed Jesus. Folks, you get it, don't you? Jesus makes this real simple. Luke 6, 46, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Our God and our Lord our line drawers, our Heavenly Father, our Savior, they do not confuse us by having movable goalposts. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 30, he that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. You are either or. Luke eleven twenty three. he that is not with me is against me, he that gathereth not with me scattereth. You are either or. Either or. That's it. When you decide, I'm going to commit this transgression, you are against him. When we speak of righteousness, one of the problems that happens as people start to define their own righteousness. And like I've brought up multiple examples in this podcast, 
When called upon it, they'll defend it. In Philippians 3, 7 through 9, Paul said, What things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, notice this, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Paul could go back under the law of Moses. He could justify himself. The Jews did that. You know, Romans 10, 1 through 3, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record. They have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. The Jews would use the scriptures. Which is why he went on to say in Romans 10, 4, the very next verse, Christ is the end of the law for the righteousness to everyone that believeth. They use the scriptures. The righteousness of God is revealed through the text, right? Romans 1, 16, 7, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it's the power of God and salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as is written, the just shall live by faith. What do you think you accomplish if you approve of your own self? 2 Corinthians 10, 18, Paul says, For he, for not he that commended themselves approved, but whom the Lord commended. So you create this argument and you justify whatever it is that you're doing contrary to the will of God. What do you think your self-justification means? I mean, back to a point we made earlier. You know, thinking about self-justification. You know, Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkens unto the counsel is wise. And Proverbs 28, 26, He that trusts his own heart is a fool, but whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. You know this, I know this. We, we see it in society. People justify themselves. You go to a criminal trial, and the arguments are, this is why it was right for me to break the law. That's really what happens when people are guilty of violating the law. This is why I'm right for doing it. Hear this carefully. This is not the words of Brian. This is the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He said in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have I not prophesied in thy name, and thy name cast out devils, and thy name done many wonderful works? Then while I profess them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Look, that's the point of Ezekiel 18, 24, and 33, 13. Even if you have done righteous acts, they are made obsolete by your sin. Singular. The flip side, though, and, and, and I want to think about this, okay? Please, please think about this. Instead of going down the road of self-justification, if you have done wrong, why not just make it right? It's not that complicated. There are people that in their self-righteousness never get to see the clarity of the light of the simple path of being forgiven. I preach the gospel of Christ because the gospel of Christ includes mercy and grace 
and forgiveness. But then there are those people like in Luke 18, 9 through 14, where Jesus spake this parable unto those that trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they despise others. He said, two men went unto the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. The publican, standing far off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this is Jesus talking, folks. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalted himself shall be abased, and he that humbled himself shall be exalted. Why? If you are doing that which is contrary to the will of God, do you not acknowledge it and make it right? I'm going to talk to those who are Christians. Though, if you're not a Christian, the point applies. There are just some additional steps. If you're not a Christian, you're going to have to obey the gospel, which is going to include repentance, but also immersion into Christ. You're going to have to have your sins washed away in baptism, Acts 22, 16, among other things. I don't want to oversimplify that by telling you to do this, 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 and this, and you'll be saved. I'd want to talk to you, so reach out to me. For those of you that know the gospel and have initially obeyed it, don't you know that rather than saying, I'm not that bad, I've only done this, or I don't think God's going to judge me for this one thing, or just justifying somehow, some way by twisting the word of God, what you've done to make it right, why not just step back? And do what the Bible teaches us. Okay? I want you to think about, if you're a Christian, what you should already know. One of the benefits of being in Christ Jesus is if you err, you can confess that sin, repent of it, and be forgiven. I don't know why. People waste their time in self-justification when they just could make it right. And I've seen it way, 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 way too many times that there are people that are not going to be in heaven with our Lord because they just won't make it right. Like Proverbs 30 and verse 20. Says, such is the way of an adulterous woman. She eateth and wipeth her mouth and saith, I've done no wickedness. Why be that way? In Proverbs 28, 13, says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. We come back to the book of Ezekiel. And you go back to chapter 33. I'm going to begin at verse 13 that I read earlier. But I'm going to go down to verse 16. When I shall say to the righteous that he shall surely live, if he trusts in his own righteousness and commit iniquity, all his righteousness shall not be remembered, but for his iniquity that he hath committed, he shall die for it. Again, when I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, if 
he turned from his sin, do that which is lawful and right. If the wicked restore the pledge, give again that he robbed, walk in the statute of life without committing iniquity, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of his sins he hath committed shall be mentioned unto him. He hath done that which is lawful and right. He shall live. That, folks, you can repent and be converted and have your sins blotted out. Acts 3.19. So that when the time the refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, you can repent, be converted, and have your sins blotted out, taken away. But that's going to take the desire to change. It's not going to be, I haven't done that bad. I haven't, I haven't done this or I haven't done that. What should happen to us? And it shouldn't be just because we're afraid to go to hell. We ought to. Those of us in Christ want to please our Father and our Savior. We ought to be tore up when we disappoint God. That's where contrition should come in, where you feel like you've been crushed. And Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is nigh to them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as of a contrite spirit. That, that is a person who is crushed, not who's sitting there saying, I really haven't done anything bad. It's not that bad. Oh, I don't believe I'm going to go to hell for just this one thing. Psalm 51, 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Isaiah wrote, Isaiah 66, 1 and 2, Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me? Where is the place of my breath? For all these things have my hands made, and all these things have been, said the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is of a poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. Remember when Job transgressed? And he abhorred himself. Job 42 and verse 6, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. In the book of James, we read in chapter 4, verses 6 through 10, he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Instead of, I haven't done anything wrong, fall to your knees and be crushed. Understand that you have disappointed your heavenly Father. Have a godly sorrow. Godly sorrow is what it takes for repentance to come about. In 2 Corinthians 7, 9, and 10, I, now, Paul says, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us and nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Have that godly sorrow. Turn away from the sin and back to the Lord. Throughout the Bible, we see this, right? In Lamentations 3.40, as the children of Israel are in captivity, let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. You know what they didn't say? They didn't say, we haven't done nothing wrong. <laughs> you know what's unfortunate? 
It took them having to be physically punished to come to that conclusion. Because prior to this, when you read the book of Jeremiah, they're listening to the false prophets. They're saying peace, peace when there was no peace. In Acts 26, Paul is talking about his conversion, the work the Lord appointed unto him, and how he went to preach this. Acts 26, 18 through 20. To open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they might receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but showed first to them in Damascus, at Jerusalem, throughout all the coast of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works meet for repentance. So you're forgiven now. 2 Timothy 2.19 says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Don't keep your toes in the water, folks. Walk away from it. Repent. All your works that you're doing. You know, the church in Ephesus, if you were to look at the works of that congregation in Revelation chapter 2, their outward appearance would be that they are faithful. But... But they left their first love, Revelation 2.4, and were told to remember from whence they had fallen, repent and do the first works. They were doing works. You read it. I know thy works, Revelation 2.2, and thy labor and patience, how thou cannot bear them which are evil, tried them which say they're apostles and are not, and has found them to be liars. Their good did not outweigh the fact that they lost their love for the Lord. They weren't fornicating. They weren't stealing. They weren't cheating and lying. They weren't murdering. They just left the love. They were in a loveless marriage with our Lord. Rather than deny it. You know 1 John 1, 8 through 10? Beautiful. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, forgives us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If you're in sin, don't deny it. Confess it. If you confess it and turn from it, he'll forgive it. Realize that the goodness and forbearance and long-suffering of God exists for a reason. You know what that reason is? Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. Because the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Don't despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering. Understand the purpose so that if you are a sinner, you can repent. That's why the world's still standing. You know, the Lord is not slack. 2 Peter 3 and verse 9 Concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. And what that means is tardiness or a delay. He's not delaying as some people would think. The reason he's not destroying this world, verse 9 continues, but his long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. Folks, if you're in sin, turn and be converted. For the saint, it's through confession and repentance for those that have never been in Christ, you need to come to Him. You need to, you need to believe in Him. You need to change from your sins. You need to be converted, which is going to include multiple things depending on who you are. You know, if you're the alcoholic, 
You're going to have to stop drinking. You're going to have to repent and be baptized, Acts 2.38. But there are other things, and, and it's important to talk to somebody about it. If not me, another faithful evangelist. I'm not going to give you a name because uh, there are far and few between. Faithful congregations, far and few between. But you need to get this covered, and how do I become a Christian? Whether in Christ and having fallen or in the world and having never come to the Lord to begin with, repent and turn from your sins. Don't let iniquity be your ruin because you will answer. In Ezekiel 18.4, God says, All souls are mine. The soul of the Father, so is the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Verse 20, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The Son shall not bear the iniquity of the Father, neither the Father the iniquity of the Son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. We come into the New Testament. We see in Luke 13, verses 3 and 5, I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall likewise perish. We are going to give an account before the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ of the good that we have done or of the evil. That is the day of sentencing, the day of judgment. You're going to stand before him that knows all things. You're going to bow before him. Romans 14, 11. And you're going to give an account. Romans 14, 12. If you make it right now, you turn away from your sins, you begin to live as the new creature that you can be in Christ, then you'll only answer for your righteousness all your iniquity. Here's the beauty of God. And this is, again, why I do not understand why people don't acknowledge it when they sin and just make it right. Because when you make it right, God is merciful. Hebrews 8 and verse 12 says, their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. You can do something horrific the way man would see it. But if you're converted you do the right things, you won't give account for it. It will be remembered no more. Why not? Why not take advantage of that? It doesn't exist among men, right? I mean, you wrong somebody, they rarely truly forgive you. And even if they do, it's still in the back of their memory banks. And people have a hard time being merciful. Now, among saints, that's not the case. Among the faithful, you'll find forgiveness, but you won't find them able to forget. With God, the all-knowing and the almighty and the all-powerful, he said, I remember them no more. He can wipe that slate clean. That is the forgiveness of sins. Folks, you're not building up a savings account of righteous deeds. They're going to wash away the evil. You're not. Don't rely on your level of righteousness. Rely on the mercy and grace of our God. Rely upon His forgiveness enough to trust in Him that you can be honest and bring that to His attention through confession and then change called repentance. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this has been a thought-provoking study. I taught it because there are way too many people out there that are justifying themselves 
rather than doing the much easier thing, confessing and repenting. I hope if this applies to you, you'll make the change. If it doesn't apply to you, I hope it keeps you on the course and gives you comfort that if you were to walk off the course, you can come back. I thank you so much for listening. If all goes according to plan, I will be back on Sunday, and we'll be talking about 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2. Until then, thank you for listening, and I will say goodbye.